The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Father, we thank you for your word as it goes forth as seed. We know that our Lord Jesus says the seed falls on all sorts of hearts, all sorts of soils, but we thank you that your spirit comes by his refreshing dew, his rainfall, and softens, has softened our hearts, that we receive it and that it bears fruit in us. Father, we pray that that will be true for us even in these moments today and in our study of your word today. Father, also as we think about you as the Lord of the nations, we thank you that uh, you are sovereign over all nations, including this nation. And uh, as this nation uh, goes to the polls today in election, we ask for you to be merciful and kind. But also, Father, we thank you that we together here, from whatever nations you've drawn us to this place, have a citizenship that transcends any earthly citizenship, that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await the appearance, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, our champion and our savior. Father, thank you that we and all nations are in your wise, strong, just hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, by this point, you will not be surprised when I direct your attention to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In this semester, we have two more meditations, uh, and both we're going to be looking at a metaphor that Luke uses that is a seed metaphor, a, a, an agricultural, a farming metaphor, uh, here and then in the outflow that we'll see in a couple weeks of the scattering, the dispersion of uh, the church, uh, precipitated by the ministry of these seven, uh, word, uh, seven mercy servants, table servants, uh, who also have a very effective word ministry, as we will see a bit in a couple weeks. But uh, today, focusing on the seed bearing fruit and growing, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, to grow. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Look with me also at Colossians chapter 1, where this same metaphor, the same picture, the, the verb increase here in Acts 6 7 is the Greek word, verb. You scholars know that, auxano, right? It's here as well in Colossians 1. Paul, in his record of the, his prayer and thanks for the church in Colossians 1 3 through 10, appears twice more. The apostle says to the believers at Colossae in western Turkey today, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you heard, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the, God, in the Spirit. And so, <clears throat> from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit, growing, multiplying. We've seen that um, this whole theme of God loving abundant multiples of people uh, began this text. Uh, it was the multiplication of the church in Jerusalem, and the diversity within that church, Greek speakers, Hebrew or Aramaic speakers, that precipitated a crisis, potentially, a tension that could have disrupted the church and its unity, but has been now remedied by the wisdom and the humility that God has given to the apostles following in Jesus' steps as leaders who are servants, and to the church. And so now we learned about the multiplication of the church in verse 1, potentially causing a problem. Now in verse 7, we learn that that multiplication, it's the same word that we saw in verse 1, that multiplication is great. It's, it's exponential because now we have mercy, table servants, serving alongside word servants, and both are freed to lead the church in a growth in word, in the gospel, and the application of word in compassion for those who have needs. Now, the ESV, as you notice, in verse 7 says increase. And increase is fine, continued to increase. It is, Greek scholars, an imperfect tense aspect, so it does have progress in it. Increase is okay, but it is typically a farming term. It's growing. In fact, the combination growing and multiplying is a combination that has ancient precedent in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You know the English translation of the Hebrew, be fruitful and multiply, from Genesis 1. Well, if you're reading your Septuagint, as I'm sure you every, are every day, you're reading grow and multiply, the command to animals and to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, grow and multiply. Genesis 8 and 9, the animals with Noah on the ark after the flood are to grow, 
be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 17, God promises that not only Abraham, but also Ishmael, the son who's not the son of promise, will be fruitful, will grow, and have a vast family. Genesis 35, Jacob will grow and multiply. Genesis 47, 48, Exodus 1, the people of Israel in Egypt and oppression become fruitful, they grow, and they multiply. You get the idea, right? Even after the exile, God promises in Jeremiah 23 that he will regather his people and make them grow and multiply. And amidst all those promises of growing families, the Lord also then injects images in the prophets of harvest, of grain growth. Isaiah 61, 11, as the earth brings forth, the Greek says, grows, it sprouts and a garden causes what is sown to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's a new covenant promise, fruitful growth. So we come to the mediator of the new covenant to Jesus, and he talks about the lilies growing without worry, and about mustard seeds, pictures of the kingdom, growing up tiny, but growing up into huge bushes, tree-like bushes, um, and about the seed of the word falling on various forms of soil, but including falling upon soil that is softened and tenderized without brambles, without rocks, and growing and bearing fruit. So, Luke is in good biblical company to talk about the growth of the word, uh, this organic growth of the word. And as we heard, Paul uses the same picture when he's writing to the Colossians. And actually, even earlier, when he wrote to the Corinthians, when he talked about his role in planting and Apollos' role in watering and the one who made all the difference, God caused it to grow. The word grows. Church growth is word growth. That's our, that's our topic, our title for today. Church growth is word growth. And in fact, this is only the first of three times in the book of Acts where Luke uses this same picture to describe the expansion of numbers of people gathered by the gospel, but he talks about it in terms of the word growing. Here, it's in Jerusalem. Remember that profile of the book of Acts that Jesus gave in Acts 1.8, that the disciples, the apostles would be his witnesses in Jerusalem? in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth? Well, interestingly, three times the word grows, and it's in each of those three phases of the expansion of the church. Here, Jerusalem, the word was growing and, being, and multiplying, bearing fruit and multiplying. The, the, the echo, for those who knew their Greek Bible well, would have been indisputable from Genesis 1 and Genesis 8 and Genesis 17 and Exodus 1 and beyond. Then, Acts 12.24, after a persecutor of the church, an arrogant king, is struck down for receiving, uh, accepting, welcoming worship as though he were God, 
Then Luke records the word of the word of God was growing and multiplying. Acts 12:24. In that wider region of now Judea, Samaria, in the bounds of the ancient promised land, but it's continuing to grow. And then with Acts 13, we know we begin to see the expansion beyond the coastlands as Paul and Barnabas, well, first Barnabas and Saul, but eventually we know them as Paul and Barnabas, as Paul's prominence uh, becomes evident, uh, are sent out from the church in Antioch to the coastlands, to the islands, to Cyprus, up into what is uh, Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. Uh, and that phase uh, continues until and beyond where we read this third instance, which is in Acts 19, verse 20. It's in Ephesus now. Seven would-be exorcists are making their best shot at a signs and wonders ministry using the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, they tell demons to go out of a man. Well, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't know Jesus. The demons recognize Jesus' name all too well. And they even know Paul as a servant of Jesus. But the demons, through, speaking through the man, say, Who are you? And so these would-be exorcists are horribly defeated. No signs and wonders ministry without true faith in the true Christ. And so they leave stripped, bloodied, shamed. And Luke records this, this outcome when it seems as if Jesus' name in the mouths of people who don't know Jesus at all fails, it seems. Luke says, this whole thing became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many who were now believers came and confessed their occult practices and brought their books of magic arts and burned them in the sight of all. So Luke sums up, because of that, the word continued to grow. The word continued to grow and wield its power with might. So what's Luke's point in describing church growth as word growth? Well, it's to make us all understand that what propels the mission of the church and the effectiveness of its witness in gathering more people into allegiance to Christ, what fuels its growth is not the strategic skill of the church's human leaders, but the invincible power of the Holy Spirit working with and through the word that he breathed out through prophets and apostles to plant the seed of life deep into human hearts. Lots of experts available to you today, ready to coach you on how to grow a church. And much of what they have to say needs to be listened to. It's valuable. Effective advertising is okay. An attractive presence on the web is a, is a good thing. Reliable childcare that inspires parents' trust and relieves them that they can focus on the word, 
absolutely essential. Prompt follow-up with visitors is not only strategically smart, it's just loving. All good things, but what grows Christ's church is his word. The word was growing. The word was wielding power, and the numbers were multiplying. But the word seed, it's, it's seed, and it looks so, so weak, and it looks so vulnerable. That, I think, is probably one of the lessons that Jesus intended his hearers to take away from the parable of the sower. The sower comes not as the grim reaper at the end of history, not now. He comes as the planter of seed, and some of the seed is going to be snatched out of hearts before they even think about it. Some of the seed may seem to begin to get a little bit of rootage and start to germinate in some people's hearts, but they're so shallow that that the first hot day, yeah, 90s day in November, what's up with this? At the first hot day, they wither. And some seed is going to come into hearts that are so distracted by the weeds of daily pressures and daily pleasures that it will just be choked out. It looks so so weak, so vulnerable. It looks so tiny like a mustard seed. And yet, there's power there as the Holy Spirit tenderizes hearts and drives the seed down into hearts. He brings life. You believe that. I know you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't have invented, invested countless hours, and I don't want to think about how many dollars in studying Hebrew and Greek and then taking Old Testament and New Testament and systematic theology and practical theology courses, all of which require you to engage the word in its original Holy Spirit-breathed languages. You're committed to that so that you can preach a word that Paul calls the foolishness of preaching, so that you can preach a word that looks weak but is in fact the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. That's what Paul says. How can this word, here we're on the midst of a day in which perhaps the most powerful nation on the earth is all about questions of who will be in power, who will be in power over the military, who will be in power over budgets. How can this weak word be the secret weapon of the king of kings in advancing his kingdom throughout the nations of the world? Because at the heart of the seed of the word is a seed who died, was buried in the ground, and took up his life again. Remember? Jesus talks about the word as seed, but he also talks about himself as seed. John chapter 12, verses 23, 24. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does that glory look like? Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's that grain of wheat? Well, if we had any doubt, I mean, he's just talked about the Son of Man. That's himself. 
It doesn't sound like glory to die, but if we had any doubt, the very next words out of his mouth are a lament and a prayer. What now is my soul troubled from the Psalms? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this very purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. The kernel in the center of the seed of the word is Jesus the seed. Planted in the ground, dying for his people, and then emerging from the ground, harvesting us. Harvesting people from all the peoples of the world, taking us out of our spiritual death and bringing us into the harvest of God. In life, he doesn't remain alone. What makes the word we carry and that we broadcast like seed so very powerful, so very potent to bear fruit and prevail mightily, it's the secret life-generating power of the word seed that points to the weakness of the cross, that is, the cross on which the woman's seed, that's a little word play, but it fits, it does fit, on which the woman's seed bore the wound by which he crushed the head of our enemy. Wow, this is powerful. Church growth is word growth, because the word written and preached attests the divine word made flesh, full of grace and truth, the one, as John says, in whom is life, and the life is the light of men. Jesus died, rose again, and carries with him from the grave our life, us in life. The great gospel harvest of life for fallen and flawed and broken rebels like you and me. No wonder the word, when it grows, grows the church. Praise God. We're called to engage in that planting and we and called to engage to see the Holy Spirit bring harvesting from his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for planting the seed of the word into our hearts by the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit. We're breaking up the stony hardness of our hearts by the Spirit, tenderizing us so that we can receive the life that you give in the heralding of the gospel. And Father, thank you that we have the privilege of being seed bearers and planters, scattering far and wide the word of this good news, which indeed brings life to the dead. Encourage us to discipline in our studies that we might faithfully handle this word of truth, this gospel that bears fruit and grows throughout the world. And may it bear fruit and grow in our own lives. First and foremost, we ask that for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.